Hello and welcome to Since the World's Been Turning. This podcast series is a journey through history, one guided by the lyrics of Billy Joel's song, We Didn't Start the Fire. The cheerful 12-bar blues tune, Rock Around the Clock, is instantly recognisable today, and it's easy to forget it once caused riots. Rock Around the Clock had a cult following among youth of the 1950s and went on to have a lasting influence on a new generation of musicians. In this episode, we take a look at the tune that changed the landscape of popular music and the story of the man behind it. One, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock. Five, six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, rock. Nine, ten, eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, rock. We're going to rock around the clock tonight. What did you try? It's 1955, and the crowd is going wild. The opening of the movie Blackboard Jungle, featuring a young Sidney Poitier, has the youth of the United States in a frenzy. The movie follows the struggles of teachers and students in an interracial school, and it receives some harsh reviews from critics for its shocking depictions of violence but it also taps into the rebellious energy of a generation of teenagers. They're dancing in the aisles, tearing up the seats, and generally causing mayhem in the movie theatres where it plays. And strangely enough, the fire is being stoked by the upbeat song that accompanies the credits, performed by Bill Haley and his Comets. Somewhere in New York, Bill, a former country and western singer, is seated at the back of a movie theatre with his business manager, watching the spectacle in shock. By today's standards, there's very little that's controversial about Rock Around the Clock. It's a song about putting on your best clothes, your glad rags, and dancing all day and all night. But in the 1950s, rock and roll is a groundbreaking sound. It combines traditionally African-American forms of music, jazz, rhythm and blues, with the country and western and big band styles popular among white Americans. Rock Around the Clock isn't the world's first rock song, but it is the first rock and roll hit to reach a number one spot in the charts in the US and it inspires a generation of young musicians, including Pink Floyd guitarist David Gilmour, who says it's the first record he ever listened to. It paves the way for artists such as Chuck Berry, Jerry Lee Lewis, Little Richard and Elvis Presley in years to come. Commentators will go on to describe Bill Haley as the daddy of rock and roll. The record sells 25 million copies, making it the highest-selling group rock and roll single of all time. Rock Around the Clock was written in 1952 by Tin Pan Alley songwriter Max C. Friedman and produced by James E. Myers. New York's Tin Pan Alley will fade with the advent of rock and roll, but in the mid-20th century, it's the flourishing home of jazz and blues, ragtime and music hall ballads, packed with songwriters and music producers. Somewhat surprisingly, Friedman is 60 when he pens the teen hit. He's already had a career as a radio announcer, respected songwriter and entertainer. 
Along with Dick Thomas, he was responsible for Sioux City Sioux and later record songs with Bing Crosby, Bob Willis and Willie Nelson. Jimmy Myers has been penning and producing country and western songs since the 1940s. From a musical family, he serves in the Pacific in World War II and his career really takes off on his return. In his later years, he also dabbles in acting. There's been debate over who really wrote Rock Around the Clock, but despite Myers being listed as co-author, today it's widely assumed the song is either solely or largely Friedman's creation. The first commercial recording of Rock Around the Clock by novelty band Sunny Day and His Nights doesn't really go anywhere. The man who makes the song a hit is someone who never set out to be a rock star. Bill Haley is born William John Clifton Haley on July 26, 1925, in Highland Park, Michigan. He's left blind in one eye at the age of four after a botched operation and is bullied at school. His father is a keen mandolin player and Bill's mother is also musical. Guitar music is the young Bill's first great love and his great escape. As a teenager, he idolises singing cowboys such as Gene Autry and dreams of making it big in country music. After Pearl Harbour in December 1941, Bill wants to enlist in the military, but due to his poor eyesight, he's rejected. His confidence as a musician grows, however, after he begins to perform at the outdoor market near his home. In his late teens, he leaves home to build a career as a country singer, and by the mid-1940s, Bill's become one of the top cowboy yodelers in America, dubbed Silver Yodeling Bill Haley. Though he never loses his love of country music, his extensive travelling around the US exposes him to different musical styles. A stint as a local radio host and programme director in his mid-twenties also leads to a growing fascination for rhythm and blues. His radio station plays predominantly country music, but each week there's a jazz and blues hour. He goes home with the tunes playing in his head. In the late 1940s, he takes his band gradually from country into blues-infused rockabilly music. In this interview from the early 1970s, Bill looks back on the origins of his brand of rock and roll. Uh, actually, uh, it started for us back in the year 1949-1950. Uh, at that time I had a little country and western band and I was strictly a country and western artist. But uh, I had, my favorite music was rhythm and blues music plus country and western music. But in those days, if you were a country and western artist who sang strictly that type of music, or if you were a race artist or a rhythm and blues artist, they, they called them race in those days, you sang strictly that type of music, or jazz, you did jazz. But we, uh, mainly because, I don't know whether, we just didn't know any better, because it was our, uh, uh, just our wish to do it. We sang, uh, we were the only country and western group to sing rhythm and blues music. And uh, I had traveled quite extensively as a kid down through the south, through New Orleans, and worked in Shreveport and uh, Dallas and Fort Worth and uh, just about any place I could get a job and uh, had picked up quite a repertoire of rhythm and blues and uh, type music. 
Uh, and it just was our style. And then in 1950, uh, I was working on a little station in Chester, Pennsylvania, and uh, the uh, one uh, little record company there heard, heard our style on the radio and started to record us. In the prosperous post-World War II period, Bill Haley knows that it's teens rather than adults who are the market for popular music. Bill and his band The Saddlemen, who will later become The Comets, set out to make cheerful, upbeat dance music that will appeal to young people. The band successfully combine country and blues genres with Rock the Joint in 1952 and Crazy Man Crazy in 1953. The popular song garners Bill many fans, including a 19-year-old truck driver called Elvis Presley. In 1954, Bill Haley and the Comets are about to hit the big time. Blackboard Jungle director Richard Brooks is scouting for music for his movie when he comes across Rock Around the Clock, included on the B-side of another record playing at the actor Glenn Ford's home. Glenn Ford portrays Mr. Daddier, a beleaguered teacher, and his character later becomes the inspiration for the 1950s term, Daddy-O. Ford's young son, Peter, into all the latest music trends, is the owner of the record. Brooks likes what he hears and wants to include it in the movie. Bill agrees, thinking any publicity is good for his music. When it's released, Blackboard Jungle is a sensation. It's controversial and topical, as the US Supreme Court had ruled that segregation in schools was unconstitutional the previous year. In the 50s, the authorities become worried by the extreme reactions the movie provokes in audiences, and eventually it's banned in the southern cities of Memphis, Tennessee and Atlanta, Georgia. A 1955 review, which appears in the New York Times, describes it as a vicious and terrifying tale of rampant hoodlamism and criminality. In the biography Crazy Man Crazy, Peter Benjaminson and Bill Haley's son, Bill Jr., describe the singer sitting in grim silence on the way home after seeing the movie. If this is what I do to those kids, I don't want to sing anymore. No more, Bill finally tells Sam Segro, his business manager. Eventually, Bill accepts and embraces the popularity of Rock Around the Clock, but the association of his music with juvenile delinquency never sits well with him. Bill Haley and his Comet's rock and roll success also brings home to the band how deep racial tensions still are in America. In a 1956 tour of the southern states, they're the only white musicians. At a performance in South Carolina, the show is closed down after a tip that a bomb has been placed under the stage, and in Atlanta and Washington, there's violence among audience members. In Georgia, black audiences refuse to attend in a protest against segregation at Comet's concerts. While musicians such as Bill Haley may not always have intended to make a political statement with their music, Early rock and roll, which appealed to both white and black Americans, is believed to have had a positive effect on the civil rights movement. The mid-1950s are a tumultuous time, 
with musicians from other genres, including Frank Sinatra, speaking out against the newfangled music. The psychiatrist Francis Braceland famously describes the style as cannibalistic and tribalistic. But nothing can stop the rise of rock and roll. In 1956, Bill Haley and his Comets are already collectively earning $10,000 a week, a hundred thousand US dollars today. Cold as a codfish, hot as a cold, hot dog, buddy. Well, bless my soul, I'm rocking, rocking on down the line. Hot. In the next few years, Bill and the band achieve success with tunes such as Rip It Up, Hot Dog Buddy Buddy, and Jingle Bell Rock. They're shocked by their own popularity. During their first hectic tour to the UK in 1958, fans flocked to the Rock and Roll Express train from Southampton to Waterloo Station. The band spark riots and receive a rapturous reaction wherever they go, including Liverpool, where they impress a young Paul McCartney, and Manchester, where a 15-year-old Graham Nash of the future supergroup Crosby, Stills and Nash skip school to attend the concert. Nash will hold on to the ticket stub of the concert for decades, saying that, Over the years I've lost houses, I've lost wives, but I've not lost that ticket stub. It's that important to me. In the US, however, Bill's star begins to wane as the decade wears on, and the younger, more charismatic Elvis Presley grows in popularity. Bill Haley continues to perform with the Comets, successfully touring Europe and even visiting Tunisia, but he's increasingly stressed and unhappy. According to his biographers, only three years after his rise to stardom, he started drinking heavily. Money is also a worry. The band is earning a lot, but they're also living it up on tour. In the early 1960s, Bill makes an unexpected announcement. Beset by financial problems, he wants to move to Mexico, saying that in South and Central America, he's still a big star. Everybody rushes after me and wants my autograph. They make me feel really good, like I'm really somebody, he tells Barbara Kupchak, his second wife. During a boozy tour of Mexico shortly afterwards, he meets and falls in love with the woman who will become his third wife, local singer Martha Velasco. Today, it's likely any rock and roll fan, and anyone who lived through the 50s and 60s, knows of Bill Haley. But he's rarely spoken of in the same breath, or referred to in the same way as other rock and roll pioneers. Despite his trailblazing music and the fanatical following he had in the mid-50s, he doesn't have a big on-stage persona. He's professional and confident, and he always gets the crowd up and dancing, but there are no smouldering gazes, no glamorous costumes or charged repartee. He doesn't have the presence Chuck Berry, Little Richard or Elvis have. And the Comets themselves come and go. The original bass player, Marshall Little, is known as the father of modern bass for his distinctive style, and the original guitarist, Franny Beecher, is said to have inspired Eric Clapton and Jeff Beck, among others. 
but those who replace the original lineup in the 60s and 70s often don't have a distinct presence. In total, more than a hundred people can claim to have been members of the Comets over three decades. Unlike many musicians in the years to come, Bill Haley keeps things upbeat and rarely channels his inner turmoil into his music, keeping his personal and professional lives separate. There's plenty of dramatic material behind the scenes, however. During his life, he's married three times and has ten children. Prior to hitting the big time, he'd left his first wife, Dorothy Crow, and their children to start anew with Barbara Kupchak before leaving his second family in a similar fashion. Bill Jr. suggests in his biography that his father's shame around his private life may have led him to keep the media at a distance. In this interview, Bill Haley talks of his third family and his life in Mexico without mentioning his ex-partners or his other children. Well, I have a little, I have a little, no, I don't. I have, uh, don't have any family, really. I, my mother and dad passed away, and my sister. I've got, uh, I've got a little boy now. He's two years, be two years old this month. I've got a daughter ten years old and a wife. And, uh, what do you call home? Well, I live in Mexico City, Mexico. Despite Bill Haley's private struggles and his battle for recognition, there's surprisingly little bitterness between him and Elvis Presley, the king of rock and roll. Elvis, on joining the Bill Haley fan club, said that Bill was his favourite singer and that he loved everything he did. I owe him so much, said Elvis. Without him, I would not have discovered rock and roll. In the late 1960s, Bill's luck begins to pick up. There's a rock revival in London, and the Comets take the stage at the Royal Albert Hall, playing in front of rock greats Cat Stevens, Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr. In the following years, Bill Haley and the Comets continue to tour on and off. Rock Around the Clock enters the charts again after it's included in the soundtrack of the 1970s movie American Graffiti and popular TV series Happy Days. Bill takes a break in 1976, the year before Elvis dies at the age of 42 after years of drug abuse. But he comes out of his early retirement three years later and continues to tour. The reviews from his final concerts are a mixed bag, but at times he still blows audiences away with his enthusiasm and energy. This live recording, made in Holland, dates from 1979. In February 1981, Bill dies at the age of 55 from an apparent heart attack. Rumours have been swirling around since 1980 that the singer is suffering from a brain tumour, but his wife Martha says after his death that they are untrue. Towards the end of his life, Bill did, however, appear to be struggling with a neurological decline which may have been caused or exacerbated by his heavy drinking. 
Waiters in the restaurants Bill frequented say that during his final two years, he would speak to staff and customers and tell them he was the man who created Rock Around the Clock, showing them his driver's license to prove who he was. Sometimes he would start to hum the tune without introducing himself, hoping they would guess. Bill Haley has been referred to as both the father of rock and roll and rock and roll's first victim, trapped perhaps by the music he created. I always describe the, the evolution of rock and roll this way, that there, first there was Bill Haley in the comments with the type rock we play, and then, uh, then came Elvis, and uh, uh, each trend that you have, all the, the young groups follow the leaders, you know. Many commentators have observed that in life, Bill Haley did not really get enough recognition, considering the contribution he made to the genre. But today, he is recognised as a musical pioneer. Six years after his death, Bill was belatedly inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and the original Comets, Al Rex, Billy Williamson, Danny Cedrone, Ralph Jones, Rudy Pompili, Marshall Little, Johnny Grandy, Fran Beecher, Joey Ambrose and Dick Richards were inducted in 2012. In 2006, on the 25th anniversary of his death, Bill had an asteroid named after him, the 79896 Bill Haley, by the International Astronomical Union. Rock Around the Clock was a watershed moment in the development of rock and roll, and it transformed the landscape of popular music in a way Bill Haley could never have foreseen. It's perhaps ironic that today, so many years after the song was released, people listen to it and hear what Bill wanted them to hear, an upbeat and infectious dance track that has stood the test of time. Thanks for listening to Since the World's Been Turning. Thanks to Will McGillivray for the introduction music and to our writer, Elena McPhee. Please join us again next time as we continue to explore the people, events and places behind Billy Joel's iconic song by exploring the life and works of Albert Einstein, the man whose discoveries transformed 20th century science. For more episodes and information, you can follow NZ Pods, that's P-O-D-Z, on Instagram and Facebook, or you can visit our website, www.nzpods.com. That's nzpodz.com. Giving us reviews and ratings on your podcast service helps us share this project with more listeners, so please share your thoughts. We greatly appreciate your help in keeping this project going. Thanks again for listening, and please come back next time to hear more from Cincinnati.